0: I swam uh, in a triathlon this week. I'm, I'm struggling in the water at the race. Every, like, whatever, 100 yards is a buoy. And I'm looking at the next buoy. I'm like, okay, I just got to make the next buoy. And then, like, I'm like struggling. I'm like, oh, I got to get 1.2 miles. Ugh. Oftentimes, like, we look at the end goal, like, we look at the, oh, I got to swim 1.2 miles. That's overwhelming and not very helpful. But the more I focus on the buoys, The more I struggled in the water, it wasn't until the second half of the swim where I said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about anything right now other than one thing I'm going to worry about my rhythm, like I'm just going to be like, face in the water, arm, arm, breath. And so the reason I go with that, why I'm bringing that back to the book thing is, I don't worry about reading the book, I don't worry about reading 10 books or 100 books, I don't worry about becoming a multimillionaire, any of that, I focus on the day to day rhythm. As much as possible read 20 pages did i analyze a deal that day did i meet with my team for at least five minutes success is in that rhythm i really believe that
1: you are listening to the passive wealth principles podcast i'm your host jake harris and when i'm not hosting this podcast i'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country this show allows me to interview dive deeper and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20 year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, it's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation. And I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles podcast show. Today, I have a very, very special guest. Many of you know him as Beardy Brandon, Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets. If you have not heard of Bigger Pockets, I don't know what rock you've been living under. And and obviously, Brandon is many hundreds of thousands of followers, and he's got the blue little check mark. We get a chance to dive into so many different things. His story, his journey, his three phases of life about being a DIY, investing in the little real estate deals, then building out bigger pockets. And now what he's doing with Open Door Capital, I think they're closing on a half a billion dollars worth of real estate in less than three years. He talks about some of the systems in which he puts into place. He talks about some of the things, the way he Architects his life. He structures his books, how that permeates every single aspect of his makeup and how that has unlocked and unhinged the ability to have massive amounts of success. So, this episode, I'm really, really excited to spend some time with my friend, Brandon Turner with Passive Wealth Principles. Brandon Turner, or Beardy Brandon. I can see it, you know, emanating behind that microphone. I'm excited for this podcast. And actually, I even wore my little, you know, palm tree shirts in, in, in honor of, of Maui. I was like, oh, that definitely looks like a Brandon shirt
0: it does it does look like a brandon shirt it does look like hawaii sadly i'm not in hawaii right now so you should have wore like a wolf or a pine tree or something man but i'll I'll forgive you this time i do want to thank you though for something uh i'm thank for for the hair you know you took your hair off your head and put it on my face so now i got the beard and you got a shaved head but it works out well Uh, i think it was a good trade thank you i think
1: it's it's like almost like reminiscence of old the old school days of you and david you know Uh,
0: it is this is this is just like it is that Wilder? That is. Hey, bud. Look, look at that. <laughs> oh, who's that? Oh, who's that? Bud. Yeah, can you say hi? Hi. Okay. Hi. Hi. That's my little. That's my little boy. He is three. He is almost three. He's like two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, all right. So you are in Idaho. I'm in Idaho now, right? At least right now, I've got a vacation rental or vacation house here, and we came for the summer to kind of get it all situated, so.
1: Well, you you just came back off of a massive, like, road trip, like, a pretty epic road trip.
0: It was epic, man. Yeah, we did. uh, We went on the country in an Airstream and then jumped over to Europe for three weeks, and that was cool. Uh, Tough with kids, but cool anyway. It was a good time. It was, uh, we went to Barcelona, went to Paris, went to London and Scotland and Scotland was unreal, man. Have you been to Scotland? I have not. Oh, dude, put it on your list. It is incredible. Um, yeah, it's funny. I went to Europe like, uh, what is this, 15 years ago now I went to Europe. My wife and I put the entire thing on a credit card, $5,000 for everything, flights, hotel, you know, hostels, like we're eating out of like garbage bins, not quite, but it felt like that. Like We were like really struggling to... um you know, to make the trip happen. And I did it because I was like, I will never again be able to afford a trip like this. So it's ironic that now, like, this is my third time to Europe, And this time I think we probably spent more than, you know, more than that first trip we probably spent uh, every day. (laughs) Like it's just, it's a a very different thing. It's a funny, when you're younger, like I just never thought, I don't know, in the back of my head, I just never had a vision that I'd actually be successful at this stuff, but it worked out, man, luck. And all that comes into, into play and it was good.
1: Well, and that's, I'd like to explore some of that is that, you know, this, the podcast passive wealth principles is that there's certain principles that, you know, you, you've worked on, you know, throughout your career or, or maybe, and actually we were, we were just recently at an event together in San Francisco and you were sharing kind of a story that you were a speaker on stage at some event and you didn't feel like you were worthy of the you know, uh, stature, maybe you didn't have the right net worth or the, the the income to be on there. And maybe there's three people that don't know you that are listening to this podcast, but, you know, you started as a celebrity, a personality of growing of that. And then, you know, like maybe talk about that transition from being, you know, someone that is a podcast and, and you know, a, a celebrity to actually like doing and being the kind of grown up version of, of an investor.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I like to think celebrity is probably a strong word. I like to think just like large egomaniac who has a podcast, but you know, whatever words you want to use there. It works for me. Uh, so I, yeah, I kind of look at my, my career in like three phases, right? So phase number one, I got into rental properties when I was like 21, bought a bunch of little tiny things like duplex, triplexes, fourplexes, all these little tiny deals, just hustling to get it done. I ended up buying like a 24 unit apartment building with like seller financing and just really just hustling just to get anything going making very little money at it uh doing everything myself all DIY like my I mean I painted I did a roof I did foundations I screened the tenants I did everything and when I say I I mean my wife and I we just did everything together and then kind of like phase 2 was like I got to that like level 1 financial freedom where I could like pay my bills I was making like 3 grand a month in cash flow and I was like all right well now I'm going to shift and I and I the start of the podcast, I started doing stuff with bigger pockets, and we started the bigger pockets podcast together, Josh and I. and that just took off the next like you know, we'll call it five, six, seven years of that, pretty much full time work for most of that time. sometimes like hundred hour a week in the beginning of just like building it because I love bigger pockets. I love what we were doing there. And uh, that was kind of second phase. And then, uh, yeah, I went to this conference where I was speaking and I was like the keynote speaker on stage in front of a bunch of really successful real estate guys. And I realized I I didn't deserve to be in that room. Like I was a loud mouth with a few rental properties, but these people had hundreds or even thousands of rental units. And I was like, like, I don't deserve to be here. Right. Like I was there out of because I could sell a ticket, you know, because people would show up because I was there. But I didn't deserve to be there. So that was when kind of entered phase three, which was I'm going to actually build this. I'm going, to, I'm going to deserve to be here on this stage. And so then I started a company called Open Door Capital. We started buying mobile home parks. Now we buy apartment complexes as well. Maybe we'll get into other stuff eventually. But uh, And now we bought uh, three or $400 million with the real estate. I think we're just about to cross $400 million. And uh, it's been a wild ride. What, what were
1: some of the things that you put into place as far as moving from maybe that being on stage speaking, uh, and I know that I have a lot of this is, is the imposter syndrome that, you know, and, 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 the more that I'm around successful people, people, I, I find that everyone has this same thing where it's was just like, I'm not good enough to be here. If they really knew yeah. about <laughs> me, they really knew they would be like, Oh dude, sorry. So like, how did you transition from that? And then, you know, hearing that your own inner imposter syndrome talking about to actually starting to transition to that phase three of actually doing, creating, you know, a life of design.
0: Yeah. When I, when I, when I built this, the kind of phase three of my life, it really, I took a very different approach. Now I I didn't, I wasn't like super smart. I just like figured, I, I figured it out with a lot of trial and error and failure, but basically the approach I took was how do I build this large syndication business? And I decided I was going to do syndication with mobile home parks. How was I going to build that with build it without being involved in the day-to-day? And that's a question most entrepreneurs don't ask themselves. They say, how can I build this? And I said, how can I get somebody to build this? Uh, now, granted, it's easier when you have that energy behind you of a podcast or social media or whatever, but I think anybody could actually start thinking that way of, who can I bring around me? How can I build a team that's going to take us here? Not I'm going to do it. So that was the first thing is I I really leaned into the idea of like, I'm going to build this without being in it. Like it's like building a house, but I'm not inside the house. I'm I'm the architect planning the house. Uh, And secondly, I, I really leaned into like vision a lot. Like the, like here is where we're headed. And I literally wrote down, we're going to buy $50 million of real estate. We're going to have a thousand accredited investors on our list. We're going to, you know, this and this and this. And I had all these details down, how many units, how many properties, the, how we do it, everything. And I, I wrote this in a big vision, put it on my wall. And it's still there today. It's a, it's like a newspaper article I wrote three years in the future. And we hit almost every goal. I mean, blew out of the water. The goal was $50 million, We bought $300 million in that same time period. So, those two things really were what, what led me to that third level, which was like building it from the outside, looking in and then casting a vision and being the energy versus being, you know, the, the cadet on the front lines of the battle. I was a general looking over the map.
1: Yeah. That's a a very good way of looking at it. You know, the guy that's in the, in, you know, the, the trenches versus the guy that's sitting back and mapping out and designing where everyone is the, and uh, which one's more important. I mean, I think they're both important, but uh, obviously if you're trying to design your life, I wanted to kind of talk about a concept that you mentioned recently uh, that I've been kind of playing around with in my head. You talked about uh, financial, you know, independence Island and you, which I thought was a great analogy because you, you first talked about it as like, Hey, you build a bridge there, a bridge, a little one lane and versus like trying to build 10 lanes all at once. And and to me that's made a lot of sense because I I see things get thrown out there like Warren Buffett, you know, says, Hey, you know, the average millionaire has got six streams of income. And so everybody's like, Oh, I got to do six streams of income. And they just like try to build 10, you know, bridges. And then like I've been playing around this is like, I think, I swam to financial independence Island at first. Like I didn't know what I was doing and like, I didn't even know. So I'm just doggy paddling my way there. I got there and then I looked around and I had no systems. I had nothing in place. And I was just like, ah, man. So to me, swimming, a boat looked better than the next step up. And so then maybe I was like, I got a boat and I was like, look at how clever I am. I got a boat now. And then it's like, to your point of an architect, like I'm designing a bridge. Like I'm designing something that has, you know, like a lot more ease and flow through. And so illustrate that because of the ideas and how that came about and how that translates into what you're doing today.
0: Yeah, man. So this analogy, I'd love to take credit for it, but I actually heard it from a guy named James Wedmore, like 15 years ago. I mean, like he's a he's an internet marketer, like teacher, whatever I listened to years and years ago. Uh, super good dude. But he told this analogy once on, on, on a YouTube video and it stuck with me ever since. And the idea is this. Let's say you want to get to Financial Freedom Island. You want to get there. You're on Reality Island. You're like, I got to get over there, but you got to build some bridge to get there. So you start building, you start constructing this bridge or swimming or whatever, but you know, you're building this bridge. And little by little, and then that bridge might be flipping houses. You're like, if I can just flip a bunch of houses, I'll make a bunch of money. Okay. And then while you're doing that, all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know what? Apartments sound really cool. I'm going to buy myself a 12 unit apartment. And so you stop flipping the houses for a minute, not, not forever. Just you, you go and focus your effort on the, on the other one. And then you hear about people who are going to Walmart and, or like dollar tree, and they're buying like $5 items and then selling them on Amazon for $10. You're like, oh man, that's cool too. And then you hear about some guy who's got an eBay business and then an, etsy business and then somebody else is doing like a roofing construction company and every one of those gets you really excited and so you start doing a lot of things at once and the fact is you can only build one thing at a time like your mind is only able to focus on one thing at a time so it it, what happens is you just go slower and slower and slower if you got one construction crew building one bridge it'll take what let's call it two years to get to the island if you have one construction crew building 10 bridges, it's going to take 20 years to get to that island, maybe worse. Uh, and so the whole idea that James had said back in the day, and it wasn't even regarding real estate, but it's just like, pick your thing. Like It all works. Like I don't care what type of business you want to get into, if it's internet marketing or if it's real estate or whatever, it all does work. Pick it and then just go all in on that. Learn how to do better and better. Because once you get to that island and you have the freedom now Now you can go build more bridges because you already won the game. You already made it. So now you can have more fun and you can start adding lanes to your bridge, which is like David Green's analogy he added to mine, which I added to James Wedmore's, which was like, yeah, if you're building a bridge to like David Green has his real estate agent business. That was his like bridge. So it wasn't a big add-on once he was really successful with that to add on mortgage. So now he's got a mortgage company. And then it wasn't that big of an add-on to add on insurance after the mortgage one was built. So you can add ancillary businesses to your business. That's not as much work and you get to borrow materials and borrow customers and all that. Just don't build them all at once. Cause you just go too slow.
1: I know that's kind of the, the entrepreneur's dilemma, is that you want to do everything. You want to be like, Oh, FOMO, you know? And especially in like a mastermind group, like either go abundance or I'm part of your, uh, you know, Sedona Maui mastermind, you see people doing rad stuff and you're like, wow, I could do rad stuff. I had no idea that was even a possibility. And then what happens is exactly that you try to go build 10 things at once and you do it kind of a crappy job of, of all of them versus just one Island, uh, one, one bridge. We didn't even really jump into your bio. Cause I, I, I you know, feel like everybody kind of uh, knows who you are, but I'd like to actually dive in and take this a little bit differently is what is one of the best things you've ever spent money on that's given you freedom?
0: Ooh, uh, books. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I have a philosophy that If there's a book that I think about buying, I buy it. Like, there's no question. If it's even a a 5% chance, like, yeah, I think that'd be a good book. I buy it right then. So I have hundreds and hundreds of books. And I read most of them. And I always say this. I've never read a nonfiction book that didn't make me money. Every single nonfiction book I ever read, I learned something that has improved my life and ability to make money or uh, improve my relationship and my whatever, even a bad book. I mean, there's some really just terrible books out there. I'm sure I've read, but even them, they've changed my life and made me money. So that's something that has given me more and more success as I just read a tremendous amount. And it's not like I'm reading like five hours a day. I maybe read 20 minutes a day. I just read 20 minutes every day. And this is such a secret of like life in general of success in almost anything is people oftentimes think it's like, Oh, I got to read the book. Don't worry about, don't worry about the book. Worry about the daily, the daily task. In fact, to, to loop that back into another metaphor. I, I swam uh, in a triathlon this week, uh, this past week. That's why I'm in Coeur right now. I swam with uh in a relay version. So I only had to do the swim and in those, in the it's 1.2 mile swim. And I had almost no time to prepare for it Cause I got in really, really last minute. I had three weeks ahead of time. So anyway, I'm I'm struggling in the water at the race and there's buoys every like you know, every whatever, hundred yards is a buoy and I'm looking at the next buoy. I'm like, okay, I you got to make the next buoy. And then like, I'm like struggling. I'm like, Oh, I got to get 1.2 miles. Oh, right. So to, to, to relate that to life, oftentimes like we look at the end goal, like we look at the, oh, I got to swim 1.2 miles. That's overwhelming and not very helpful. Like I know where it's at. I know where the exit is. I have a vision for where the end of the race is, but I don't need to focus on that. Even the buoys though, the buoys are great, but the more I focus on the buoys, the more I struggled in the water, the more I really had a hard time. I could not, like, I couldn't get, couldn't get my swim down the entire first half. It wasn't until the second half of the swim where I said, you know what? I'm not gonna worry about anything right now other than one thing. I'm gonna worry about my rhythm. Like, I'm just gonna be like face in the water, arm, arm, breath, arm, arm, breath, arm, arm, breath. No kicking, nothing fancy, just arm, arm, breath. And all of a sudden, I started passing people. And I started like what David Goggins calls taking souls. Like he's like fasting. me was like this is amazing. Like it, it it took forever. So the point I'm making here. Oh by the way, and at, at one point I all of a sudden I looked up and I noticed I was way off course. I mean I had paddled probably 50 or 60 feet, like angled like almost like perpendicular where I'm supposed to be. So that's where the buoys come in handy. You look up every so often, look at the buoy which is in line with your end goal, like where that finish line is. And then look back down and focus on the rhythm. And so the reason I go with that, why I'm bringing that back to the book thing is I don't worry about reading the book. I don't worry about reading 10 books or 100 books. I don't worry about becoming a multimillionaire, any of that. I focus on the day-to-day rhythm. As much as possible. Read 20 pages. Did I have 10 minutes alone with my wife just to talk with her? Did I analyze a deal that day? Did I meet with my team for at least five minutes? You know, like those are the rhythm that if I do them over and over and over, the results take care of themselves. It's all like success is in that rhythm. I really believe that.
1: Yeah, I think these systems that you put in place. I mean, obviously, I I know that you've read the James Clear Atomic Habits is that, you know, it's just like. Duh. I mean, it was like, it's just like, almost like Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad. When you know, you put it out there on paper and he sees it and you're just like, it's a pretty simple concept, but it's like one of those things. So like, what does your, I would say maybe typical day, because obviously you've been traveling for, for months, you're up doing triathlons, but do you have a typical day, a typical routine that you're trying to uh, stick to that produces the results that you're looking for?
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, I wake up, the first thing I try to do every morning, I, I anchor my morning in uh, a routine, right? I'm a big fan of that. I don't like getting up early. I'm not very really good at it, but I do notice when I wake up earlier than my family and have at least 30 minutes of alone time, my entire day is better. So I try to do that. I probably hit it five to six days a week. I'm not perfect at it. When I wake up, the first thing I love to do is I have kind of the routine of like the kind of the ritual of making a cup of coffee and doing that stuff. I then go sit in the same place every day. I usually read a chapter of the Bible. One chapter of the Bible. It's not that much. It takes like a minute and a half. Uh, And then, so I do this routine that involves all of that. Then I I have a journal where I actually wrote my own journal and then we sell it at Bigger Pockets now, but I use that journal every day. And the main thing I use in it is my habit tracker. So I've got six habits that I'm usually tracking in any given quarter. Uh, And so like I mentioned a couple of them earlier, did I meet for at least 10 minutes yesterday with my wife, uh, what I call connection time. Like I don't need five hours with her. I mean, I'd love that, but I'm not going to get it. Did I have 10 minutes with no kid, with no interruption, where we're just deeply connecting on a top uh, in conversation? And I just simply write down check or dash. Check means I did it. Dash means I didn't. And so those are the rhythm, like my, the time with my wife is one of them. Reading is one of them. Did I wake up by 6am is one of them. Did I meet with my team is one of them? Like, those are the habits that I'm tracking that give me the results because when you track something, it's more likely it comes true. So anyway, so that's the beginning of the day as I have that morning time, probably about 30 minutes. I love to say that I then go up to the gym and I go and work out. No, I'm terrible at that. I, I fit in workout at some point during the day. Lately, I've been rucking. You have a ruck, Jake, you know what that is?
1: Uh, and I, if, if it's what I think it is in the army, I rocked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you, okay yeah. so you put a
0: <laughs> big backpack that's really heavy on your back and you just walk basically or hike or whatever. So I've been doing that. Uh, and I like that because I can do phone calls while working out because you're not completely out of breath. It's just hard. And so I actually schedule usually uh, my, my workout time during that. Uh, and I probably work, I don't know, I'll give it three hours a day on average, four days a week, uh, for various things. Like I don't work a ton of hours. Uh, I spend way more time hanging with my kids than I do working, but that's just because I almost every business I have is set up that way that I just have to do the high value, the big items, the big meetings. And that's about it. So no, no typical day, but I spend a lot of time with the family.
1: Well, one of the things you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you obligate yourself to stuff, uh, you know, and, and that's just a hack of, uh, of, of Brandon, like you're hacking yourself. And so I thought that was pretty clever as far as the way that you've, you've structured some of those things. So if you could kind of talk about what that, that, what that means.
0: Yeah. I'm super lazy. This is what I always tell Like I'm like, I'm literally like, I'm just a super lazy guy. If given the choice, I will sit and just watch TV. Well, I not TV, like Netflix, right. Or I scroll TikTok or whatever. I'm, I'm just so bad at doing anything. Like I don't go to the gym because I don't, I don't have the willpower to go to the gym, and I know there's probably people listening to this going like, you know, well, you just got to do it, right? I just don't, I just don't do it. I just, it's not me, right? I'm not good at it. I never have been good at willpower. However, I know that those things give me the results I want, so I find ways to hack my my willpower or hack my lack of lack of self control. And one of the ways is I'm a people pleaser, so I obligate myself to other people, so I won't go to the gym. But if somebody, if I schedule with them in this brief moment of clarity in my day where I'm like, oh, the gym would be a good idea. I'll schedule it with a buddy. Let's go to the gym tomorrow morning. Can you pick me up? Right? Or I'll hire a personal trainer to come to my house because then it actually gets done because if somebody's at my house in my garage saying, Brandon, let's work out, I'm going to work out just like most people would work out. So I can't rely on my willpower to get anything done. I have to find a way to obligate myself to do it, uh, which is number one, uh, or I'll I'll, I'll I'll track it. Like I, Again, the habit tracker is probably the only tool I have to actually try to make me have some semblance of willpower. But your know, obligation, even this podcast, right? If you would have called me earlier today and be like, Hey, you want to do a podcast today? I'd have been like, yeah, I don't have time, man. In reality, of course I have time. I mean, I literally have been doing nothing half the day today. I've been hanging outside. I've been doing some calls I've been walking, playing with my kids, but I would have said, no, I don't have time. But because I scheduled this a couple of weeks ago and I used Matt to schedule it, my assistant, it actually got done. And then I'm once I'm here. I love it. This is great. I just know that I wouldn't have done it. So yeah. I have to find ways to hack my willpower. And I think a lot of people probably resonate with that because there's a lot of lazy people out there. It doesn't mean you can't be successful. Yeah. It's, just,
1: it's using that, your MO of who you are. And as far as if you start designing your systems that fit who you are, because I know there's some very super motivated people that love working out and just yeah. love that. And I was like, yeah, they just I'm- get up and do it. I was like, awesome. You're, you're amazing. Yeah. Uh, I know. Good for you. I wish I
0: was like
1: that. I'm not, that's not. Yeah. And so I had to figure out my own self and I mean, obviously you've done, uh, some of those, uh, you know, systems and habit trackers and obligating yourself with friends and, and having them to come over. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, Two of the most common questions I get asked are where can I find good deals to invest into and is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithan's.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. One of the other things that I think is just so, so important is that people, again, back to this kind of like FOMO of, of, of missing out, is People think they have to do the task and there's like a mind shift, uh, a mindset shift that you have to get around to is because say your doctor so-and-so and you're making a million bucks a year is their mindset is like, I need to go do the next thing, do those more Amazon drop shipping. I need to go do being the sponsor of a deal. And I've actually found that it's not about more time or committing those things. And you've, you know, become the epitome of that. Like you have been able to transition and design open door capital and and in a way in which it didn't necessarily take more time. What was that process? What were you doing? How did you come about and not trying to do things yourself?
0: Yeah, for me, it's it's a mindset thing. It's really as a mindset thing. It's when I say mindset, I mean how you solve problems. The approach you take to solving problems is your mindset. So uh, I kind of cro- chronicle that into like four chunks or format it into four chunks. There's like the DIY mindset says I'm going to solve a problem by doing it myself. The project manager mindset says I'm going to solve it by hiring a dude to do it or hiring a lady to do it. So I'm going to like, I'm going to flip houses. Oh, great. I'm going to go out and find a contractor and he is going to go do the work, but I'm going to be there watching over him. I'm going to be checking on him. I'm going to be paying the bills, right? That's project manager. Then the third level is like the CEO or COO level, like the, like the manager. Like I built a company that flips houses. So I own the company. I, you know, I've got a VP of marketing, a VP of, of, uh, whatever sales, I've got the contractor relations guy. I've got a finance person. They all report to me and I tell them what to do. And I cast the vision and they go out and do it. Nothing wrong with that. Lots of people have a great company that way. And that's the COO mindset. But the fourth mindset, uh, and, and by the way, again, there's nothing wrong with any of those mindsets. You can have a great time. I DIY stuff all the time. I set this camera up myself because I like DIYing my camera stuff, but there is a limit, right? Like there's a limit to how good you can do and how much you can do when you're a DIY. And when you're a project manager, every level has a limit. That said, like the higher you elevate that mindset, the less you have to work. Like the manager works typically less than the frontline worker. Uh, and so uh, this fourth level is what I call the architect or the energy or the visionary. Uh, I like the word architect a lot, but it's because like, they're like designing the house, but they're not building the house, right? They're designing it. So I architect the business. And it's literally a mindset. It's just, it's, I solve problems by saying who's going to build this. And the easiest way to, there's two ways to kind of get yourself into that mode is number one, hire yourself a COO. Like you hire someone to run your company and have them build the company. So instead of like you hiring 10 people to work under you, you hire one person to work under, and then they hire everyone else that works under them. Easier said than done. Of course, I'm not saying you could just go hire anybody. You got to find the right person. But if your whole life is about finding that person or people in, around you, you can bring in. Uh, I once heard Gary Keller, the billionaire from Keller Williams, he once said that his only job is to be a people scout. Like that's his only, like his only job as a CEO was to find talent. That's it. Uh, Because everything else gets done by everybody else. But his thing is to attract, find and attract talent. Uh, And that's what I kind of look at myself. Like that's my primary thing. Anyway, so yeah, so number one is you hire your COO and they build the business out. And number two, the way to kind of get into that mindset is to ask yourself, like, what would insert name here, do. So like if, if think of an art, think of a person you want to be like, an entrepreneur you like. For me, it's Richard Branson. I think Richard Branson is a classic example of an architect. He doesn't run any of his companies. He's the energy behind it. He might have the vision, but he's not meeting with board of directors every day, and he's not meeting with his team and setting goals and having performance reviews and, and TPS reports. Like That's not Richard Branson, right? Richard Branson surfs or, or windsurfs with a naked model on his back. That's his job as the energy. So ask yourself the question, if, if that's who you want to be, what would Richard Branson do in this situation? And that puts you into the mindset that you want to be in. So what would Elon Musk do? What would Richard Branson, David Osborne, right? What would uh, Jake do? Right? It's like, put yourself in that, uh, ask yourself that question and it automatically moves you into that mindset. There's which so much you of that to and go bigger.
1: just the, the mindset thinking like you, you just don't know what you don't know. I, I think, and then obviously to, to, you know, back to your point of reading books, I have found that is probably the number one thing that leverage knowledge at a greater scale. I mean, cause you've written a lot of books. It's probably, is it a decade or two decades worth of experience that is getting condensed down into like three hours?
0: It's, obs- it's, obs- it's almost like laughable how ridiculously good deal a book is. Like, yeah, you're getting 10, 15, 20 years of somebody's entire life experience and all of their knowledge poured out into an easy to read thing that costs you $10. Like, I mean, how ridiculous is that? Like I'm, I'm writing a fiction book right now. I've never written fiction before. And I'm like, I don't even know how to write fiction. Uh, it's like a fable, but like, and I'm like, okay, well, I went to Amazon and sure enough, there's so many books out there, like how to write fiction, how to write historical fiction, how to write dialogue, how to write characters. So I just bought them. Like I bought the best one of each group and then I just figured it out. And I'm like reading what I wrote and I'm like, yeah, this is not too bad. Like it's totally learnable. Yet, how many people, what, 80% of adults haven't read a book since high school? Like, it's crazy. It's It's crazy.
1: I was like, to me, it was getting around... People like uh, David Osborne, you know, I was sitting at a table with David Osborne, Pat Hyben and, and some others. And so this is what led, and, and you might even have been at the table and everybody had written a book. Like they had somebody like raise their hand. I think it was uh, Tucker Max was there or something like that. And we we're talking and I was like, who's written a book? And I like looked around at the table and like everybody had written a book. And I was like, do I need to write a book? And David was like, <laughs> yeah, it was and it was like you, yes, you need, need to write a book. And, and so it was just like an interesting thing that it was one just getting in the room, you realize that there's a commonality. Everyone there has read lots of books and they all talk about it and it's almost like a paid book club. I was <laughs> like to be honest, like everybody's sharing books. Oh, this' is a great book. you' this textbook. If I text you a book, that I thought was like really impactful, I guarantee you, you would buy it.
0: Yeah, I'll, I always do. If anybody recommends a book to me, I buy it right away. This is a rule I have. If you recommend a book, I'll buy it. I don't necessarily going to read it right away because I've got a, a big backlog, but like, I'll read it. It's, a, it's like, it's, yeah, I was reading a book the other day on a plane. I was reading a book by Alex Hermosi. It's have. called $100 Million Offers. Have you read that one yet? Yeah, and I, I read that book. It took me two hours. And I was like, I just made a million dollars. Like I just made a million dollars sitting here on a plane for two hours. Now I don't get that money for years, but I will eventually use that knowledge somehow. And over my life, I will make more than a million dollars from two hours of reading. I was like, this is the greatest like leverage. thing in the world. It, books are amazing. Yeah. Leverage. It's the ultimate leverage. Yeah. Like people are always asking me, like, pick my brain, right? I'm sure you get that too. Like, hey, can I take you out the coffee and pick your brain? I'm like, that's fine but read my books first, because that's my brain. You're literally able to pick my brain without me interrupting for hours. And if you, after you read my books, I've read six of them. Like if you still have questions, like, yeah, let's go to lunch, but it's all right there. Like my entire brain, I just dumped it into this. And the other reason to write books, by the way, I'm glad you brought that up too. And I'm curious if you, if you found this the same, when I write books, it organizes my thoughts and makes me such a better investor and better entrepreneur and better leader, because I'm able to formulate like why it is I do what I do and how that works. And I'm able to see holes in what I do. And in researching things in the book, I'm like, Oh yeah, that is a way better do- way to do that. I'm, you know, so I like, even if no, not a single person ever reads your book, I still think it's worth writing a book once you're successful yeah, because it'll just make it did, you more.
1: hundred percent. I agree. It, it did. It is, you know, cause you have to like, well, I mean, I guess you could just write a terrible book if you wanted to, but I wanted to do something good. And, and so like to do it good, you go, I have to collect all of this sporadic stuff. That's a little bit everywhere and bring it into something that's a little bit more connected and cohesive and connects from one to one and transitions the proper way. And it did very much. So help me with that uh, mindset. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like your process for writing a book, because I think it has some uh, value, not just in writing a book, but if you're uh, organizing a project or if you're organizing, starting a new company, um, because I think there's some really unique things that you've done around that, that creates and maps out uh, a successful plan.
0: Thanks, man. Um, You know, really comes like, I'll say this, Abe Lincoln, an Abe Lincoln quote changed my life. And, he, and here's the quote. He said, and it might not have been him, you know, the internet, they make up quotes for people all the time. But the, the quote was, uh, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend my first four sharpening my axe. And I, I love that quote. And I apply that to my book writing. So when I write a book, I sit down and I plot out, I, I sit, I grab t- like 10 note cards. And I write down like the, on each note card, like the chapter title that I want to be. Now, with real estate, it's fairly easy, right? There's one on buying, how to find properties, how to finance properties, how to whatever. But even in my new book, I did the same thing. I write down, like, what are my chapters going to be, like the big, the 10 biggest things about the book or 12 or whatever the number is. Then under each one of those, I write what, like, what are the five or 10 components of that thing? So if it's finding properties, I'm going to be like, okay, let's talk about off market. Let's talk about on market. Let's talk about, you know, this. Let's talk about that direct mail, seller financing. Or I, I guess that would be not finding properties, but you know, I write down like the things that are it. right now, each, now I have 10 note cards under each of the 10 chapters. I got 100 note cards. Then on the back of every note card, I write down three to five bullet points about that topic. So if the thing is it's under the head of the, the note card of finding deals it's under the subsection of working with wholesalers. Then I'd write down like how to find a good wholesaler, how to vet a good wholesaler, how to how does the wholesale process actually work to be able to find a deal from them? Uh, what's the you know like how much should a wholesaler, how much should you pay a wholesaler? What if things go wrong with the wholesaler? Right? Those are like four, five, six points I write down. Now I've got a hundred cards. Each one on the back has a three to five bullet points, and I have a stack now. Every day, again, rhythm going back to what we talked about way earlier. Every day, all I need to do is show up and pick up a note card, and the note card says on the front what I'm writing, what chapter it's from, what subchapter it's about, and on the back I've got all the, the the bullet points right there. There is no such thing as writer's block when you do that. So that entire process I just explained, I will do that all in one day without leaving a Starbucks. I'll sit at a Starbucks one day, and I do not leave until that's done. And by doing that it makes the rest of the process a million times easier. And the book is better. It's formulated better. And the reason I like note cards is because you move them around. You can lay them all out and move them around and structure your book the way that needs to be structured. And uh, man, that that process has made it so much easier. And in a way, it's kind of what I did for Open Door Capital. Like I laid out a vision exactly where we're headed, how many investors, how many deals, how many this, how many that. And then I'm like, all right, there it is. And let's just every day I wake up and we say, well, we, in order, in order to hit these targets, we've got to do an offer a day. And so we average one offer a day and that's what we do. We so when the you rhythm. do
1: that, do you there like you label your note cards and then you go in and type them out? Uh, like, you know, so you flip over, you pull out a card and it says, you know, seller financing and you pull over and your three to five things is, you know, carry back or silent second or whatever X, Y, and Z that you have on, on your card. So then you go in and type that, are you also mapping that out? Is that in Google docs? Are you talking it like, what does that process look like?
0: Yeah, I write, good question. I write in Google docs. Um, I like that because I've lost documents before that have written on like word, like that's I've lost chapters before where like the computer shut down and didn't save. Right. I don't know. It's, it happens. Right. So, uh, I like Google docs for that reason. Uh, I do a separate doc for each chapter, but yeah, I literally just sit down and I just have a, a word count goal. So, for example, like my goal is a thousand, like on, on earlier books, it was a thousand words a day. Now I'm, it's more like 500 words a day. If I just get 500 words, I'm good. And then the second component of that is I typically write a book with someone else. Not that we're writing the same book, but I find somebody else who wants to write a book and we write at the same time because then we, we create a Google, a Google sheet, like a spreadsheet with two columns. Uh, one column is my name on the top, one column, is the other person's name on the top. And then down the left side, I guess it's really three columns. And on the left side, the very first column is the date every single day for the next, let's call it hundred days. And all you do is you write down at the end of the day, how many words you wrote. And the goal is like, don't miss a day. Like every day I have to, I don't want to break that chain. It's like the Jerry Seinfeld technique on joke writing, but write a joke every single day. Don't break the chain. I'm like, write 500 words or a thousand words every single day. But added to that is the fact that I can now see, for example, the last book I wrote, I wrote with Brian Murray. I can see every day how many words Brian wrote, or I can see what he wrote yesterday. Oh, he wrote 700? Well, shoot, I'm writing 800 today, right? So you add competition in with it. Uh, and that gets pretty fun as well. Um, it, it makes me like whatever I have to do to hack my willpower. I'm going to do it. So now again, I'm obligating myself because I promised somebody else I was going to write it with them. They can see every day my progress and I'm tracking it. So I'm gamifying the entire thing, which is what I need to do to overcome my willpower because I do not have
1: your business. So you said writing one offer a day. Have you taken those and translated that into KPIs for your team?
0: We do. Yeah. So we operate under the EOS model, which is the entrepreneur operating system comes from the book Traction. Uh, very sim- similar. We have a 10-year goal that we're going for. We want to buy $10 billion of real estate in 10 years. Uh, and we are on track for that. So how do I know we're on track with that? Because we also have a three-year goal that lines up with it. We also have a one-year goal that lines up with the three-year. We also have quarterly goals that line up with the annual goal. Then we have weekly rhythm things that we get done every single week. So we have goals for the quarter, which is called a rock in that system. And then we have every single week we meet and we set weekly rhythm things. So for example, we're making five offers a week or 10 offers a week, whatever the number is. And so we track that stuff on a regular basis in a meeting. It's like the only meeting I had to go to was like once a week EOS. And so everybody gets to see. So now we're playing with the gamification because we're tracking it. We're playing with accountability because we're doing it with other people. We're doing an obligation because we said publicly that we we're going to do that. And every week we have to admit whether we're uh, uh, ahead or behind on our goals. And so, yeah, we definitely apply it to a business. And when we did, that's when we really saw open our capital just take off because we just tracked so everything. Start with EOS
1: or was that something as you started getting uh, a few people, then you were like, wow, we got to figure out how to organize this.
0: Yeah. It, when my personal real estate business, I never did EOS. I read the book years ago. I didn't get it. It didn't fit me. It didn't hit me where I, I needed. Uh, Cause I wasn't there. I didn't have any team members. Once I added a couple of team members, that's when I reread it. And I was like, this is the Bible of business. It was amazing. And then I was like, all right, we're doing this. And we tried to do it ourselves for the first like six months. And a lot of people do that, but it's like the difference of like, I'm going to go, like, I mean, I can tell you, I just ran, I just swam this marathon, right. Or this uh, triathlon, I did the swimming part. Right. Like I was not, I'm not very good. I've never once had a lesson from a swim coach. Never. Uh, I don't even know how to swim. I, I, I learned from like 15 minutes on a pool from a buddy of mine who had swam in a triathlon once. He's like, Hey, just try this. So like, that's it. Imagine if I would have just for a few weeks met with a coach who walked me through just little things on technique. Like I, I finished the 1.2 miles in 49 minutes. I probably would have hit under 30 had I had a coach for a few months, right? Like it's that different. So the difference between like 90% good and hundred percent good is a difference of like going twice as fast. I really believe that. So I might've been 90% good. That last 10% is what gave me the rest of the way. So the reason I say that is because we were doing 90% EOS. And once we added in an EOS implementer, so in other words, a consultant who we meet with every quarter to make sure we're doing it perfect. Once we hit perfect EOS, that's when things took off uh, really aggressively because we were doing it right. We weren't just putzing around with it. We were doing it exactly the way it's supposed to be. Our form has been is perfect. I mean, our form is perfect. Um, my swimming form is not. Yeah, I see that. I so, I mean, a, a
1: lot of guys that are doing triathlons and or wanting to do whatever, and they go buy the fanciest, lightest bike. You know, they'll go spend ten thousand dollars on a bike and you'd be like, but your swimming sucks. Like you're, you're saving seconds, but you're adding minutes over there, you know? And, and I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> look, my bike. That's a good like, point. Yeah, yeah. You could use your know, swim that you pick up over there and probably get a better time. If you'd approve your, your swimming and just get a coach.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They call that the law of constraints, right? It's like looking at your business, figuring out where your bottleneck is. There's a great book called The Goal by Eli something uh, that talks a lot about this. It's another fable, but um, yeah, the law of constraints, like what's your slowest moving thing in your business? That's what you should be focusing on improving all the time rather than focusing on what's working really well. Like, oh, you're a good bike rider. Well, let's get a better bike and go even better. No, look at your swim. You, yeah, you, you can, there's so much low hanging fruit in the things you're not good at. Uh, And I know there's a lot of value to like you know you know focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses, all that. I get that. But in your business, sometimes you have to focus on the weaknesses and say, no, we're going to really emphasize that this quarter because that's where we're slowing down. Like right now, like we have not really focused on raising money the last few years because it's been pretty easy. Like there's been a lot of people with cash, a lot of people throwing money around, and I have a huge audience, so I just put it on my Instagram and people throw money at us. It's great. And then the market's been great, so we're giving people amazing returns. It's been super easy up until the stock market kind of started crashing a few months ago or a month ago, all of a sudden now people don't want to get money anymore. Everyone's afraid of selling their stock because it's at a loss. Now we have to try. So we look this quarter, we're like, all right, this is the quarter we're going to focus on our weakest part. And that is our funnels for raising money. So we've never done paid ads before. Now we're doing that. We've never done uh, like a funnel. We've never done like people to answer the phones. We haven't done any of that stuff. Now we have to, because that's our constraint. Our biggest constraint now is our, our ability to raise cash. So You know, and we're going to come out of this so much stronger in that regard. And it's going to elevate our entire business to the next level. And that's kind of my my understanding of the theory of constraints. In life, if,
1: you know, you you suck at one area, you don't have to do those. But in business, you don't have that luxury of just be like, oh, we're just going to suck in that area. You'd be like, "Mm, there's people's livelihood, their, their, you know, commitment to you. So I, I know I want to make sure to, to you know respect your time on this. You're up there, you got your family uh, that you're hanging out with, and I'm taking you away from that. But I, I'd like to hit a couple of you know things. Books, not your own, because obviously everybody should go read all six of your books, including the fable that's coming out. They should pre-order that. Do we have a name on the, the fable yet?
0: I don't have a name. Well, I'm it's probably gonna be it, no, I've never said this even out loud to anybody. I think, but it's you can heard it first. It's probably going to be called the Drifter, uh, and it's an ana- It's a metaphor or a uh, I don't know what you call it a, a fable, I guess, about a Drifter in the 1930s. And I really like the analogy of like drifting through life. Most people drift through life, and they just go whichever way the wind blows, just like a hobo in the 30s living on the on the on the trains and like riding the rails, versus somebody who takes a lot more intentionality to their life. Right. So the story is going to be one of transformation. It'll be a, at least a year before that book's out. Probably. So I'm a slow writer today. Well,
1: that's uh, five hundred words uh, a day. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I like those fable th- books. I've read a handful of those.
0: They're all really cheesy. This was my by my goal when writing that, by the way. Like most of them are really, really cheesy, and that's not always a bad thing. Like there was a book, Life in Air, which was really good, super cheesy. There's a book, uh, The E Myth, by Michael Gerber, super cheesy. They're, they work though. They like Lencioni writes all fables, and 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 Patrick Lencioni is his books are great. They they really make an impact. They change lives. I mean, look at Rich Dad Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant. But they're all terribly written. So I was like, how like not all of them, but a lot of them are badly written. So I was like, "How do I write a real book that's like actually good book?" And, uh, and like, if you were not a business person, you wouldn't even maybe know it's a fable. That's the goal with it. That's it's awesome. like, so let's write a real book. What books so we'll
1: we've we've referenced a handful on this show. I mean, already we've we've talked about the E Myth, we've talked about traction with EOS, we've talked about you know rich dad poor dad, and you know at least mentioned it. But like, what books have you gifted or recommended to other people? Mm you know, more than any other.
0: Yeah. One of them lately, uh, one's called the relentless elimination of hurry. No, sorry. The ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. Have you read that one? I don't know how, or who, who yeah, you I know love what? That one.
1: Maddie Aitchinson uh, posted that at one point, And I think oh, it was really? via Ryan Hughes or something like that. Unbelievable. I've read all mm, his yeah. books now.
0: Yeah. So good. He's phenomenal. Uh, I'm listening right now to a, a, a talk he gave on like food and wine and building relationships via food and wine and hospitality. It's so good. But anyway, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry was phenomenal and like telling you to like how to slow down and not be in such a rush through life uh, and just really enjoy the moment. There's a book called 4,000 Weeks, uh, which was really good. I don't remember the author of that one, but if you look like 4,000 Weeks, that was really, really good. What else have I read recently? You know, I'm gonna pull my let me pull my Kindle and my Amazon real quick. My uh, my Audible. Let's see what else I can throw at you. I listen, I read, and then I buy a lot of books. Uh, let's see, library. All right, so I'm for fiction writing, I'm writing, I'm reading a book called I read a book called Save the Cat, Writes a Novel. So Save a Cat Writes a Novel is a book about that. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer was a really good book along with the surrender experiment that he wrote, which was really good. The Comfort Crisis, Michael Easter, phenomenal book. Have you read that one, Jake? Add that to your list, The Comfort Crisis. Not only is it a great read, like it's actually a really fun read. It just brings up a lot of really interesting points about how like humans are in such comfort these days. It's killing us, uh, which is fascinating. So there's a few of them. The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy was phenomenal
1: those are great. So ones. many. We'll give you I haven't those. read the comfort crisis. Uh, I, I think that's, that'd be great. And, yeah, and I like obviously I have not even heard of save the cat. What was it? Right. Right. The
0: <laughs> if you write save the cat writes a novel. It's kind of a weird title. Save the cat exclamation mark writes a novel. Uh, it's just a novel, right? If you want to write fiction books, uh, save the Cat Writes a Novel. There's another book called Save the Cat that's it's based off. Uh, it's a screenplay book, how to write screenplays for like movies called Save the Cat. And it's basically like every movie out there. It's actually kind of funny. Once you read these books, like you'll start noticing it. Every movie has a pattern. Every great movie has this pattern. of these 12 themes that just go throughout the movie. And all of a sudden you start like, now I can't watch a movie without seeing every one of them. I'm like, oh, here's that part. Here's that part. Here's that part. Uh, so it basically breaks that down and tells you what they are. So then as you write your book or novel or screenplay or whatever, you can make sure to add those themes in there. Like the false summit, you think they, they think they won, but then, Oh, something drastic happens. Like everything's got that, right. They won the battle, but then, Oh, he gets captured. And you know, it's every book. So, that's it, so interesting that's what it's about. That you
1: mentioned it's that good. because I am working with a, a brand kind of builder, brand builder group, Rory Vaden. And so he's like, that's every good story has that same arc. And like, you need to do that. And he like says it to do it in the chapters of your books. So not only do you take those chapters and those points, but then how do you illustrate it in a story that has those same things so that you can just pick and choose and say, great, now I need to arc the story, fall summit to that. Or like, you don't, nobody likes the story of like, Hey, I won. Everything was great. They like the one, like the guy's climbing off the side of the mountain. And you're like, it's like, he's, everyone's going to die. And you're like, what's going on?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it.
1: Well, I, exactly I really it. appreciate you, uh, Brandon. Okay. Um, no, I
0: appreciate you.
1: Um, you know what? Uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> every time I'm around you, I feel I would say, you know, this is kind of, you know, kind of a little woo woo, but it was like the energy, like what you emit out, like it is actually pushing out into the world. I feel more energized. I feel like I can go leap tall buildings and, you know, go faster than trains. And it's like things that you just say. Maybe it's just your experience, maybe it's being a podcast host for a long time or just the being around other high high caliber people, is that you 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 have this storytelling mentality and just it clicks with me. And so I really truly appreciate that. I, I appreciate the the insights in life. Being a man of faith, someone that's sharing that openly out into the world. I also appreciate that because it gives you know, for me, at least that gives some permission, uh, as well to, to, to do those same, same things and lean into that. So, uh, truly thank you for, for what you're doing with this world and, and continue to do big things. What's one thing that people can reach out to you? It sounds like maybe it's be new LP investors. Um, but what is it that your focus, what can they do and, and help you, uh, today?
0: Hmm. Yeah, we're we're always looking for LP investors. I mean, you're you're a syndicator as well. You know, like you can you can always grow to the level at which you can raise. Like I believe, big believe, I'm a big believer in that. Everything in real estate is mechanical, except for your ability to raise money. That requires uh, personality Uh, and like and and you know what I mean. Like like you, if you want to buy more deals, you just make more offers. Like if you made a thousand offers a day, you'd buy more deals, right? It's mechanical. It's punch in, punch out. But uh, raising money is the, hard, is, uh, raising capital is the, is the real constraint. So yeah, I'm always looking for LPs and uh, I'm looking for a nanny. <laughs> I, need a, I need like a nanny. So that's, that's it. So if you're an awesome nanny and you want to come hang out with me every day in my house, that's what I'm looking for. But yeah, Beardy Brandon on Instagram. That's like my, that's my jam. Uh, Beardy Brandon on Instagram. Awesome. You can DM me there anytime.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.realestate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.